important part about being a dad is um, you have to figure out the times in your life when you have to put some of the weight down, mm. right? And so if I understand correctly, being a successful deadlifter mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you carry that weight around at right. all times, no. right? It's only when that strength is called for that right. you utilize it to lift it for that moment. Right. And then it's important to set it back down. Um, you just so, gave a completely whole different meaning to the name of this podcast. I love it, actually. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that's probably a good message for a, for a lot of people is um, there is probably weight that you are carrying about stuff that it is okay to set down. to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And today we have Jamie Bundle from Atlanta. I'm living in Atlanta. Yes, you live yeah. in Atlanta. And Jamie is uh, wears multiple hats. So he's a lawyer. He's uh, a comedian. Yeah, so I'm a lawyer. <laughs> uh, I'm admitted in New York, Massachusetts, and Georgia. Um, so, and I actually took all three of those bar exams. You know, I, this there was no reciprocity that got waved into it. Uh, I'm involved in residential real estate. I am with Keller Williams First Atlanta, which is a terrific office uh, serving throughout the metro. I have this crazy idea in my head that uh, about trying to be involved in a real estate transaction in all 50 states, uh, since we're talking about crazy right. things. I've been a comedian for almost 30 years now. Uh, in fact, 2021 will be my 30th anniversary as a stand-up comedian. Uh, and I own a comedy club in Atlanta called The Punchline. Yeah. And then hey, I saw it. <laughs> I'm a mediator. So if you've got a dispute, I can help you try to resolve that with the Georgia Office of Dispute Resolution. And I also have an insurance license. So if uh, you want health or life insurance in the state of Georgia, I can help you out with that as well. And I have a valid driver's license. I'm registered my, only, to vote. 
my only question is like, what happened there? Like you just decided to just keep going or you're like, well, I mean, I just, I am a lawyer in New York. Let's take a bar exam there. Or... Uh, well, in fairness, I did all the law, the bar exam stuff right after I got out of law school. So I was not <laughs> like delaying, you know, trying to get those licensings at a, at a uh, later time. And at the time, you know, I had gone out to law school in Los Angeles. Um, I had some thoughts that I might like to make my home in Georgia. Of course, I'm originally from upstate New York, was looking to go into practice maybe there uh, with my father. And at the time, um, had a ton of friends and always loved the city of Boston and thought, you know, I'll just keep my, keep my options. Options open. open. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And didn't you also try your hands on acting too? If I remember correctly, your podcast with Rob? So as it turns out, well, I had started doing stand-up comedy because I wanted to be an extra in movies. At the time, when I was in college, I went to college in, in Atlanta. Uh, there was a ton of movies shooting, nothing at all like it is today. Today, it's a much today. bigger business. Yes. Uh, it's amazing. But um, yeah, I thought I, I wanted to be an extra in movies. And as it happens, later this week, I'm actually going to be in my very first uh, movie movie. Wow. I've done a couple of stuff, you know, so I, I do have an actual IMDb credit I, page. Right. Um, but this will be a, a uh, different um, line uh, line entry to it. So I'm excited. Nice. About that. I have a handful of lines I'm supposed to learn. I have a piece of my own comedic material that I'm supposed to be performing in the, in the movie. Okay. So we'll see. Wow. I could be on the cutting room floor. You never know. You never know how that goes, right? Hey, but. listen, I mean, I, I I started, I had the similar thing like mm -hmm. you, like, you know, I'm an engineer by profession. That's my 95 that pays the bills, right? Like, right. and then I'm like, okay, I want to be an act. So after I, you know, like uh, my son, uh, my ex was pregnant with my son. He's three years old, three years old. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do my acting school. And I started doing acting. And I also have an IMDb link and all that and was doing that until like, you know, I'm like, now I'm like doing all this podcast and writing right. a book. So, hey, I mean, get it. Like, <laughs> you got to do it, right? I mean, you know, you read enough of those things and they always talk about, you never know what's the thing going to be. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I will actually acknowledge there, I have, I have some friends who are with the same companies that they took jobs with when they graduated from college. And it's amazing to me to see like what an alternative life might be. I don't know if you have any like buddies that are in your peer group. Yes, yes. Like they took a more traditional path. I yes. took my path. I have some very close friends that decided to pursue just entertainment and stand-up comedy. So I feel like I have these semi-alternate views of what my life could have been if I had made just slightly different choices here. Hey, but the thing is like you're present, you're here and you're uh, yeah. you're yeah. enjoying. Yeah. So of course the main thing is also you're a dad. So that should be at the top of the business that card. That should be at the <laughs> That's <laughs> the top of the business card. I mean, all, all the rest of the stuff comes below right. those other entries. That's right. That's <laughs> so what are their ages? They're, they're, if I saw your Instagram and social media, they're, they're older. They are older, although interest. So right currently, um, right. I've got 19, 18, 16. Okay. Um, you know, depending on when somebody listens to this, those ages will have changed. Right. Um, what's really interesting to me is as a as a comic, I have sets where the material is applicable to certain ages. And one of the more fascinating tasks that I've had over time is modifying the material so I can still tell the joke. So when I when I would first, I would be very specific with the ages of the children. 
-hmm. And I would say, oh, I have a three or, oh, I have a two or, oh, I've got whatever. And then I realized, eh, this is dating the joke. And as the audience looks at me, they may think, now I, I've got a, I've, I've never had my hair this long in my whole life. I'm fully pandemicing it. Exactly. Um, we I, all are. At this right? Point. Yeah. I've had, I've actually had a beard now for an entire year. I don't know how good people's screens are, but there is a little bit of gray in this beard. Right. And, I, and there is, I think gray and, and as men, we can get away with a little salt and pepper. Absolutely. I think like that, that gives us that wisdom, like you're wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, okay. So yes, I would say ear up. You're it up, is yes. wisdom. Yes. Uh, ear down. Your your body is betraying you. Yeah. Like you are you are great. The things that go on. I, no man needs to pay the money to do twenty three and Me. You just look at color of your beard as it grows in, and there are hair colors sometimes that are involved there. Where you're like, I don't know those people. Where is it? You know. And now it is just like we're out. We're gonna go gray. Right. Um, you know. So what I I'm always fearful that if I I'm I'm on stage. There's a little bit of gray in the beard, and I tell a joke about having a, a two-year-old or a one-year-old. That's somewhere in there. There's just a bit of a hiccup, and the audience member goes, eh, "Maybe not." The other part. So I just dropped it. It's now oldest, middle, youngest. <laughs> And I adjust accordingly, mm -hmm. you know, so all of the kids get the opportunity and I have all girls, um, which, which definitely makes the joke easier. Cause I am telling single gender jokes. Yes. Um, I'm not doing my daughter and my son or whatever. It's just, they're all jokes about being a dad of daughters. Um, and I, each one of them gets a chance to be the butt of the joke. So uh, do they, do they participate in, uh, the trial and error of your joke when you create these stories. <laughs> they live their lives. I'm an active listener and the material develops from there. So I, I have definitely, they have written some of my best jokes unintentionally. They weren't, they weren't purposefully writing the jokes, but <laughs> right. I thought, oh, honey, you just wrote a great joke. I am definitely <laughs> going to be using it. So let's kind of get into it now that we kind of my audience knows who you know sure. who you are um first things first like i want to know like you know again my podcast is a lot about uh mental health and men being vulnerable and authentic and as i said like i found you on uh rob's podcast i listen it's an amazing guy and one thing that really stuck out to me and that's when i'm like i gotta reach out to you and uh, where you mentioned that after 40 around 40 I'm 39-ish, going into 40, uh, that men needs that friendship where they can be vulnerable and that that peer group. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in your life experience, have you ever felt throughout that there were no support and then you had to actively build that community or you faced some sort of resentment or not really resentment is not the word I'm looking for, maybe just uh, resistance from your friends. Like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> So, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation. My daughters are at, uh, and, I'll, and I'll come around to the question you asked there, right? So um, my daughters uh, have both recently completed their first year of college. And going from high school to college or going from high school to adulthood, it is a period of significant transition. 
And in that period of transition, you start to experience life in a different way. And you really do start to get to maybe apply in a different way some of the things that were instilled in you by your parents or not instilled, depending on what your circumstances are. And the assumption is when you get out of high school um, and it's and, and I always get a kick out of it, like if, if you had your old if you're around 40 and you had your old high school yearbook, right? and you read through it, there are some things, and we're of a close enough era that your life wasn't all online, right? You, you still had an offline life in right. high school. Um, if you read through some of that, people always talked about, like, we're going to be friends forever. We, uh, you, and, you, and you think about maybe the things that you wrote to somebody, and you had a genuine sincerity in the, in the importance of that person's relationship to you. Right. And, and then you get done with your first year of high, a college, particularly like if you lived in a dorm experience. Right. Not in a suite where you're basically isolated. Yes. Uh, and I'm old fashioned. I if you if you had to let me pick your child's first year college experience, I would be like, you are in a dorm. You are sharing a bathroom. You are uh, there's a shower at the end of the hall and you're going to figure out interacting with other people. Yes. Right. You're going to yes. meet people from different backgrounds. You're going to meet people from different experiences. Uh, and if you do it right, you have some of your beliefs challenged and how you came to, to be on that college campus. Um, and at the end of it, you will reach May thinking, I am never going to have a closer friend than these friends I made my freshman year dorm in college, right? Um, and it's a, a friendship that's in an, at an entirely different level than whomever was your best friend a year ago at your high school graduation, right? right. Um, so I got talking about this with my daughters and their friends and whatnot. And, and interestingly, I, I had said to them, and I kind of said it a little tongue in cheek. And then the more I thought about it, the more it turned out to be true. And I wonder if it's not a similar experience for a lot of men that the personality of the people who have been my closest friends throughout my life are very similar. So my mid 40s best friend would probably get along amazingly well with my mid 30s best Best friend and the running buddies I had in my early 20s because the because I am I'm a consistent through that right although I'm I've changed I've aged I've, I have different experiences but who I am as a person has remained functionally similar people who are drawn to me I'm drawn to certain personalities as well and I've always had the good fortune of being a little bit of an open book and you know coming out of a family structure where my dad was very my dad was not the stereotypical buttoned up non-expressive you know whatever kind of dad he he was a very real person and was pretty open about mm -hmm. Um, how he came to be who he was as an adult. Um, and so the role modeling I had was that, yeah, it, adult men have emotions and, and they aren't just emotions that are that are based on volatility, right? It's not, right. it's not something to have, um, to be erratic in your expression of your emotions, um, but rather to have, um, you know, a pretty broad range of emotions. I knew when my dad was upset or unhappy, but I also knew when my dad was hurting, like, and that wasn't something that um, he chose to shield from myself or my brother. Um, and as a result, I, I, I have been fortunate that I have always had uh, guys around me that were, you know, real, real people. And that probably have also shaped you who you are as you said and not just that like that as a dad 
right? Oh, like totally. when you yeah. that probably just immediately that's your first grasp. Like I feel like when we when I I became a dad and my dad was like similar to your dad, but very emotional at the same time, very strong mentality, very strong person. That but mm -hmm. at the same time he would he didn't shy away from expressing express his emotions. So I had that, and when my son was born, I was lost a little bit, uh, and that's has to do a lot of that because of a rocky marriage. But uh, but then I my first step was always grasping that book that I grew up with. Yeah. And but then I I didn't see I don't see a lot of men don't get that. And fortunately, so, you you and I got that. And my question is like when you interact as dads as men. Uh, what are some of the things that we can do as men for our counterparts, our peer groups, or even like next generation, like I'm raising a boy for that matter, right? And young mm -hmm. men, what mm -hmm. kind of advice or what kind of life lessons you have? Because I know you're a coach, you do stuff and you- Yeah, just... so I have found, you know, and I don't know that it, I guess now I would call it a conscious decision. Okay. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have called it a conscious decision at the time. Um, right. So one of the best parts about being a youth coach. So very early I got to coach and I got very active in coaching the girls when they were involved in athletic and basically whatever, wherever there was a parent opportunity to participate, I took it with, with honestly, the exception, my girls all did a lot of theater stuff. Um, and there's not a lot of dad coach allowed in theater, right? You are, it's really like you're turning the kids over to do their activity and you're in the audience there although in fairness i had plenty of opinions about staging and how to act and you know things of that nature so there were there were times where uh i may have been a crazy theater parent and what's fascinating and anybody anybody so if you have kids i'm going to encourage you to get them involved in activity and as broad a range of activities if at all possible so in our household um we we generally took the approach that in any given cycle that they were doing one athletic and one one artistic. So it wasn't exclusively arts and it wasn't exclusively athletics, but it was one of each. And the second thing that we had was whatever the activity that you chose to do, you had to do it twice before you could quit. Because most kids, when they try an activity for the first time, somewhere in season one, they hate it. They hate it. They, it's, they, they don't think they like it. They don't think it's not for them. We took the approach that said, even if you go and you choose not to get in this game, you still go sit on the bench and you still go support your team. And when the kids inevitably got banged or bruised up, it was you go sit in the dugout with your teammates and you cheer and you do whatever. We, we were not, uh, and I do not endorse the idea that, um, well, you, you, your arm's in a sling, so you're going to sit over here on the side or you get to skip practice. Like we still, like you still go, right? Life, life needs to go, move. Yeah. Life needs to go. Okay. But the mistake that most parents make when their kids are playing sport, particularly at the younger ages. So I'm gonna say just for the purposes of our conversation, 10 or younger, none of those activities matter at all in the outcome of any particular contest. Is it fun? Sure. Should you try to be competitive and do your best? Absolutely. Uh, may you win your league, your season, your thing? Absolutely. But as a parent, you can do so much more damage as it relates to their ability to enjoy that activity in um, having mismanaged expectations. So what I found as a youth coach is 
I had this free pass to give the most outlandish and outrageous pep talks to kids. And, and if you haven't ever given an unsolicited pep talk to a kid, you are missing out. Like, it's amazing, right? <laughs> to say this. Now, I know as an adult, objectively, this kid stinks, right? They are not going to do this sport. It's just not there. They're, like, they're, there's going to be a last day for this kid in this activity. Might not be this season, but it's coming. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, it costs nothing to say to Katie, Katie, I got to tell you, you have the prettiest swing when you stand in the batter's box. And just to see the smile come across this kid's face, to just have somebody, not their parents, not whatever, just pay them a compliment. Where I bring that to what your comment was about how to talk to people about some of these things mm -hmm. is I've brought a little bit of that philosophy into my adult interactions. And it really costs nothing to say to your buddy, Dave, Dave, you are crushing it as a dad, right? You're, you're doing an amazing job, right? And Dave's probably not heard like a compliment about their parenting or about what their thing is. And it's sometimes it's just enough to be able to crack the door open into having a different conversation. Um, and particularly when you broach it in terms of, hey, um, and I don't know that we use dad mentors enough as we should, but yes. um, if, if you're 35 with a two-year-old, find yourself a 40-year-old with an eight-year-old, right? And say, hey, how did you get through this? Or what was, how did you guys decide on what you're going to do about devices or, you know, whatever the whatever the subject is that you might not have a clear path on. Um, and you'll find the degree to which people open up and we'll share with you. So if you ask the question, well, how'd you get to that? Um, people will tell you. I love that because as you said, like, you know, one unsolicited advice, like that's, I mean, I am having like fun time with my kid at this point. Like he's three, he's actually gonna turn three this December. And uh, I mean, just the discussions we have every day, it's just like, sometimes even like, I'm like, how did he come up with that? <laughs> and right. that just opens another, yeah, absolutely whole new area of discussions. Like I yeah. wasn't even planning to go. And yeah. that just but, gets- But isn't it fascinating, right? Yes. Isn't it fascinating to be able to say to a kid who's three, how'd you come up with that, buddy? Yeah. Right? How'd you come up with that? Right. And, and it's interesting to, so, I always thought in terms of like, I think it's hard right now. And I really feel for kids uh, who are in a virtual school mm -hmm. and are really, tr there's something that's disconnected about how we learn, what we learn, what we retain. I think those are big societal issues that all of us are going to have to wrestle with going forward um, because, because there is something vital about shared experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And I and I think that there's um, the opportunity or the risk of losing some of those shared experiences as we all kind of wander down our own paths in a virtual sense with what we read, what we watch, what we expose ourselves to and whatever. 
Um, so, so, and I, and I don't want to be as um, naive or kind of gloss over the idea that if you and I are neighbors and we live next door to each other, well, we have some commonality of experience. We live in the same community. We drive down the same street. When I'm in my driveway and you're in your driveway, hey, what's going on? You know. Um, but when I go back inside my house, um, at some time in the past, not too long ago, you turned on your television and I turned on my television. We were probably looking at the same thing, right? Or there was a greater likelihood that we were looking at the same thing. Right. That's less so these days. And so yes. the, the, we outside our house, we may both be living in a sunny day, right? Or a cloudy day or rainy, mm -hmm. cold day. We go inside our homes and we're living in entirely different worlds. Um, and our ability to, again, kind of find some commonality and I would assume that if that if that if you and I were not in this setting and instead we're at the local bar, local restaurant, sitting down and saying, come on, let's talk about this a little bit here. We know we start from the same proposition that says, I have no doubt that the way I love my daughters mirrors the way you love your son. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if nothing else, we have that in common that the joy that you experience when your child smiles at you, looks at you, recognizes the role that you play in his life mm -hmm. is exactly the same as the way it feels for me when my girls look at me and, and I have that experience um, of, of being their parent. And so together, if we go, well, what are we looking, what are we trying to do? Right. And I, when the, when my girls were like two and three years old, we go on these little adventures in the neighborhood and, and, and I was always, for me, one of the things that I wanted to instill in them was this sense of um, kind of like situational awareness, right? Um, and so we would walk along the street and, not, you know, you have, I might have a neighbor who hadn't like picked up the, you know, the little free newspapers that throw in the bottom of the driveway, right? right. And uh, they're on vacation or whatever. And I would say the girls would be like, okay, what, what's, what is this thing here? And they'd be like, well, it's a newspaper. I'd be like, well is there one or is there more than one? And they'd say, well, there's more than one. And I would say, okay, so what does that mean? What does that tell us? What does that suggest to us about what's going on? So it's a clue. It's a, there's a, there's something that we can observe and mm -hmm. make some assumptions about based on the information that we're seeing around us in the hopes that as they moved through life and got older, um, they would utilize some of those skills, I guess, um, to help them navigate other parts, other parts of their lives, you know. Uh, no, it's 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 absolutely fascinating. You said that because I feel like all as parents, that's <clears throat> even every day. I feel like uh, I was having this discussion with a couple of my friends that all you can do is really listen to them and then provide the tools, whether they use it or not. Right now, that's not the point. The point is they're stacking these tools in their toolbox to right. use later on in life. And one day it might just click like, oh, hold on a minute, dad did show us. Maybe this neighbor, I see the driveway, the car is there. Maybe she's all by herself and he's here yeah. for two oh, days yeah. and no one yeah. knows. That's it's right. time to call 911 or something, you know? Right. Uh, the fact that these, these things are so important. And then my next question is, gearing towards my audience. And this is something that I'm also figuring out and trying to work with uh, and uh, raising awareness really basically that when unfortunately there are men that 
didn't get that kind of fortune like you and I did in terms of having a role model in our fathers and uh, you know and uh, there are traumas involved there are absent fathers right mm -hmm. and and they have they are having and that's a very common thing that I'm finding uh, in interviewing psychiatrists and counselors that they don't know they don't have the resources even in adult life to go back and actually try to change that and they, their main complaint is like, I, I, I'm seeing my kid, I want to do better, but I'm not emotionally connected to them. I just don't know where to start. And that just broke my heart when I first time heard it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Well, so I remember, so I do remember when my first, so when my oldest was born, you think like, oh, this is awesome. It's, it's going to be like, you know, love at first sight. And then, and in a way it is, right. but it's kind of one way, it's particularly mm -hmm. for dads, right? We're, we're sort of secondary to the process for Pretty a long much. time. Right. Yes. And it's a weird, and if you talk to a lot of first time dads, they're like, Oh my God, I'm glad somebody else had the same experience. Like, yes, it's crazy how you're like, I, I'm a, I am a person, but I, I'm not distinct from people. Right. And so it takes a while. Um, and I think the thing that um, nobody remembers as an adult, the process that was involved in us learning to walk or learning to speak or, or any of the milestones, developmental milestones. And so when you're when you have a child, you go to that first pediatric visit. Well, you get a test, you get the APGAR test right after you come out of the womb, right? I mean, they're giving you, you are taking right. a test within moments of coming out um, and you're slotted into this benchmark. And what you're looking for really, I think in life is um, I want to be, I, I'm assuming there's a, the range of average is considered a range for a reason. That you may have a child and for some time period, they're in the 90th percentile for height and weight. And, mm -hmm. and, in a, and a different child, same parents may be in the 10th percentile for height and weight. And that matters only in the context of is it indicative of a problem? So there are some people who are going to excel and do well and be terrific people and throughout their pediatric life, they were always in the 10th percentile and they were exactly where they were supposed to be. And there's somebody else who's in the 90th percentile. When you go for your annual physical or I, and by the way, you should be going for your annual physical. I know yes. people don't, okay, but some people are weird about that. Like if you have the go. means, go and get your annual physical. We don't have a height and weight chart for life skills, right? There, there isn't a point where my general practitioner says to me, all right, Jamie, I wanna see where you rank in the empathy scale, um, right. right? And in some respects, there should be. It doesn't matter whether I'm in the 90th percentile or the 10th percentile, right? So long as I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be, right? And I think that, um, you know, if you've ever gone and you've, and you've tried, you, you've reached some 
physical milestone where you look at yourself in the mirror some morning getting out of the shower and you'd be like, holy cow, dude, I have got to get it together, right? <laughs> and you may go to the gym and you crush it for a day and you go back the next day and your body looks exactly the same. You shouldn't expect emotional change to happen at a quicker rate than physical change, right? It takes a little bit, it takes concentrated, diligent, um, purposeful action on a daily basis. And it's not that you have this um, hold on who the person you are today or the person you are yesterday, it's that your grip on the person you want to be is stronger, right? So if, so if all you can get right now is one rep of I love you, son. Do your one rep and tomorrow shoot for two, right? And before you know it, you'll be banging out. <laughs> yes. Three sets of 10, no yes. problem, you know? Um, and, that's, and that's the hard part, you know? So I'm a big proponent of um, mental health is tricky, right? My, and I could tell you, uh, we've handled traumatic brain injury cases in our law firm and, and people do have, you know, have brain injuries, right? And the, and the challenge with brain injuries for people who haven't experienced them before, if I broke my arm, I, you see the cast on my arm and you know that I've had a sustained an injury. When I have a brain injury uh, or, a, or, a, or a neurological insult, you can't necessarily see it by looking at me. Um, I may know something's off, but I can't quite put my finger on it. If I got a sprained ankle and I step wrong, I go, oh yeah, wow, that's right. I, I banged up my ankle. Um, so having an awareness, it may only be as distinct as saying something is off. Right. And I think that um, it's very hard and we get all tied up in this, this um, silly notion of it's weak to ask for help, right? That in point of fact, um, we always seek the input of outsiders um, to fix the problems in our lives, right? And so when it comes to things like mental health issues and whatnot, why somehow that gets put in a separate box that says that's a, something that I'm supposed to deal with on my own that's not something that I'm supposed to go seek professional help out because it's going to. So if I said to you, dude, check this out. I am so bad with money. I went and got a financial advisor. You would never say to me like, what the heck's wrong with you? Like, what, what's your problem? Like, you're gonna go have somebody help. You're gonna tell somebody else what's going on with your money and you're gonna let them help you make more money. Like, what are you nuts, right? You would never do that. But if instead, I were to say to you to be like, you know, I got some stuff going on and I'm really trying to work it out. And, you know, I went and saw a therapist who really, right? Mm -hmm. there, there might be all of a sudden this pushback that says, right? Like, well, were you talking about me? Like, what were you, what were you talking about in there? What was going on? And, and we think that somehow by um, implication, if I have a friend who's maybe having a mental health issue, well, what does that say about me? Am I the kind of person that's hanging around with dudes with mental health issues, right? Um, which is just, in, and I hate to say it because it sounds yes. cliche in the circle, 
freaking insanity. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- like that's just, you just can't have it be that way. Um, no. And I agree with you because like, I feel like that's, that's what happens where I feel like you're as a person, when you're opening up to someone and their reaction is like that, the way you explained it, like, Oh dude, like what the hell are you doing? I think like, it's a projection. Like they're saying the same thing. Like uh, how one probably like, am I hanging out with mentally ill people or also might be the case like uh i'm having the same issue and i don't want to address it well okay so your child at some point uh acts out right yeah and they might do it because they're hungry they might do it because they're tired they might do it like who knows right but as a parent you can recognize it because you go i know what my kid's regular behavior is and Mm -hmm. i know that this behavior is different Mm-hmm. Likewise, in our peer group, our friend group, um, we should have something similar. And so it's not uncommon for us to, we're all going to try to solve our problems the same way, right? Um, initially. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, whether you're attuned to the fact that you're doing it or not, and I'm sure you probably had some guests that are far more uh, educationally sophisticated in how they would say it. But when I'm in a lousy mood and I'm kind of in a bit of a funk, I kind of feel like a big old bowl of French fries because that's a comfort food, right? And I want to have comfort or you get sick and you're like, I know if I were to tell you when I feel like I'm catching a cold to be like, here's what I do to reset. And now, and I will tell you that for me, if I feel like I'm getting sick or I've had a long day and I'm tired, personally for me, I'm doubly committed to getting to the gym. Like doing mm-hmm. riding, I ride the bike a lot. I've, I, you know, that's kind of my thing. Um, and that is a big reset. So if I start to feel like I'm under the weather and I'm starting to catch a cold, I am, I am mentally stubborn and being like, yes. I'm going to sweat this thing out. Right. That may not be your thing. There are other mm-hmm. people who'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm curled up on the sofa with 10 episodes of the office. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's your reset button. Right. Right. But if you know that same analogy about the pile of of newspapers at the end of somebody's driveway Mm -hmm. applies in your life. So if you have a buddy who's a guy that you've known for a long time and all of a sudden he's calling you to go out and be like, hey, you want to go get beers on a Tuesday night? Hey, you want to go get beers again on a Wednesday night? Hey, you want to go get beers again on a Thursday night? That's a friend that you need to say, everything cool because that may be a change of behavior and they're using like hanging out with the guys and maybe having a couple of cocktails and and they're trying they're trying to solve the problem or what they may be identifying as a problem and it manifests itself in a change of behavior you Mm -hmm. know so you got a buddy that all of a sudden is a homebody on friday and saturday night and the next thing you know he's like aren't we going out aren't we doing stuff you're like uh why don't you come on over to my house and we'll talk about what's going on in your life because something clearly mm-hmm. is going on and that may be the best that they can do asking a friend for help right right um and sometimes which you know as a parent right how many times as a parent i, I was just with some uh buddy of mine by the way another another kids are i love to fish um and i know i'm getting off the topic here kids are terrible no. <laughs> terrible fishermen right like four-year-olds they they really don't know how to catch a fish they get like the hint of a nibble and the thing comes flying out of the water and they're like i I just missed it right and they're anyway um 
I, I have a super long uh, streak of fishing. And then as soon as I hand my pole over to a stinking kid, there's a fish on the end of the line, right? <laughs> and yes, does it require like 10 seconds of acting on my part to catch a fish? And then be like, hey, I'm gonna go grab a soda here. Will you hold my fishing pole for a second, right? And right. it costs nothing to, to let a kid think that they just caught a fish, right? It's helping hook them a little bit in the activity. Mm -hmm. Likewise, your buddy isn't really good about opening up about what's going on in his life. Um, solicit a little advice from him about something that you maybe don't necessarily need a lot of help on in your life, but mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to get talking about the subject. So uh, I can create, if I think I have a buddy who's having some challenges in his marriage and maybe needs some, you know, vent and talk and see it through, mm -hmm. uh, I could create a fight that's going on in my house to be like, oh, dude, right? And, and then it's really, okay, now tell me what's going on with your thing, you know? Right, um, right. So, it's having like a little situational awareness as a guy to kind of see what's going on with your, see what's going on with your buddy. I love that. I love that idea because sometimes, as you said, like, you know, when you know uh, as a fact that, okay, your buddy is not doing good. Uh, and But by the way, it can be completely the other way because if, in, if your buddy is always hanging out on Friday night and suddenly he's homebody. Right. There's whatever, some, whatever the there's something yeah. wrong. And um and the fact that you can actually, the only way that can happen is that create a situation or actually be open first, like lead by example, like, hey, listen, I mean, you know, let's grab a beer, I'm having some issues and just kind of start that discussions. Because I also felt that when I was looking for someone initially, uh, there were there were none. I mean, all I got is man up, right? And uh, And then until like, you know, there are, that's how I knew that who I needed to leave behind yeah, because yeah. I, for my mental peace, my emotional health, I now my circle is this, like literally from this big to this, and I can right. rely on these people. Yeah, And I know that there will be no judgment. There's always a safe space and I can openly reach out, dude, let's grab a beer. I'm not feeling right. And right. I need to vent. Boom. Yeah. Well, and I think, so it's funny because I, so I've had a joke that for years was about having uh, relationship books um, for men, right? Um, and, oh boy. <laughs> right? And um, because it was all about the idea that if you go to your guy friends with her and they're like, I, you know, I'm, there's something that's bugging me, they're most likely to say, rub some dirt on it. Right, like it's right. I mean, that's the yeah, classic. Like, yeah, yeah, rub some dirt on it, bro. You know, to be like, I think my marriage is falling apart. And you're like, ah, rub some uh, dirt. On it. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, fix for everything. <laughs> it's the fix for everything. And I, I think that the challenge, and again, it's, it's, it is sometimes the lessons you learn when you're interacting with kids. So, um, your child is old enough to at least express themselves. Right. I mean, he can, he can. Right give you a decent sense of kind of where he's at but it wasn't too long ago where their base of knowledge is really pretty small right um and so they'd fall over and then the kid looks at you every kid has had the experience of a kid wipes out and they look at you 
and I, and I don't mean to paint with too broad of a, a stereotypical brush, but it's not uncommon for moms to be like, oh my God, oh my God. And, they, and then the child is like, oh, okay, something bad just happened. Like, eh, I should be crying, right? And you take what was information, right? So the child now has information. I was upright, I'm on the ground. What does that mean? And they look to us as a parent to interpret that information. And if you go, oh my God, your child is likely to go, I'm gonna put this in the box of bad things. Mm -hmm. If you look at it and be like, whoa, dude, that was insane, right? They're like, oh, okay, that's not that big a deal. Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, it's, it's something that happened. Um, so I think that the, a lot of times as adults, there are still things that happen to us in our lives mm -hmm. that, that exist in some respects like a toddler who has fallen. It is information that we're uncertain how to process it. And if we surround ourselves with a peer group and a support group that is, oh my God, right? Then we go, oh, this is catastrophic. And if we, if we surround ourselves with a peer group that says, oh, dude, we're going to get through this, then your outcomes are, are likely to be that much better. Um, yes. and, and that's an important thing you know, to remember, particularly as you reach a lot of those milestones in life. You know, so maybe everybody didn't have a household where they had a positive male role model mm -hmm. um, at some point point you have to i guess begin by giving yourself permission to find somebody who can help guide you through right mm -hmm. um and 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 whether that's the loss of a parent whether it's the loss of a job whether it's the dissolution of a marriage whether it's god forbid the loss of a child like any of those major catastrophes um, you know, if you'd like to think that you've got everybody nearby, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you may not, you know, and, and it's important to still go out and look, cause those people are around you, right. you know, there are, there, there is somebody probably closer than you think who can be a really good friend to you mm -hmm. and who's kind of a fun, well-rounded, empathetic human being yeah right i mean it's 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 doable they're out there you yeah know. and especially in this world of social media and like you know uh, digital age i mean there's no excuse you know i mean you just don't need to even find your neighborhood like uh just kind of creating uh, the space like as we all are doing all of these podcasts or there's a uh, youtube channels now there's facebook group there's like all sorts of things and uh, i feel like it's easier and now it's getting out there. People are talking more and more about this. Uh, I feel like we're still way behind uh, as sh like sh should have been, we should have caught up by now already. But of course, as men, we're st way behind, still not talking about it, still holding that egotistic, like um, I, if I'm being vulnerable, I'm weak statement. Like uh, that's just like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, 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 it is an odd, vulnerability right if it's blindness to weakness 
Yes. That is the problem, right? It isn't, it isn't vulnerability. So there is nobody who would say, um, and again, not to use a bad analogy, but if you're a military planner, mm -hmm. right? And you said, well, we're only going to talk about the things that we do well. And some colonel in the back says, can I just, I feel like we've skipped over our defenses. I think that we've have some exposure here. Did, is anybody sure we even bought enough bullets? You know, and if they're like, doesn't matter how many bullets we have, because we're going to win the, the, the initial thrust of the battle. Don't worry about the fact that we got six bullets between us, right? Um, they would never say, well, you can't discuss that. The, the, a business is constantly undergoing a process where they are trying to assess for vulnerabilities to mm -hmm. competitors in the marketplace, right? And, and yeah, I'm not necessarily- SWOT, SWOT analysis and all that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now granted, weakness, yeah. I, I'm, not in, I'm, not, I'm not in the market to proxy parent your kid, right? right so it's right. not like, okay, I, if I don't get it together, Bendel's coming along and he's gonna take over being dad of my kid, right? Um, so you're, within, within your, deal you you get to kind of keep your gig um but you know having having a and it's vulnerability to what right you're vulnerable you're not vulnerable to the sucker punch you see coming yes right and so if i if i identify and say I have something that I feel I'm at risk about. That's no longer a vulnerability, right? The vulnerability is when you say, um, you're gonna lose your relationship because of, because of what you're not seeing is going on, or right. you have this maybe a substance abuse issue, or you have- Like accepting it, acknowledging, acknowledging your own blind spots and what you said, like your own weakness and- yeah, yes. but I but the but but the the it's the sucker punch that knocks you out, which is <laughs> which is the blindness to the vulnerability, right? If I don't yeah. see the dude sneaking up behind me, ready to sucker punch me, I got a pretty big vulnerability, right? When <laughs> yes. I turn around and I'd be like, anybody else notice the big dude sneaking up here behind me? And they're like, oh yeah, that guy, we've all seen him. We're like, okay, good, <laughs> okay. That's as long as I realize that's not a vulnerability, you know? Right, right. So, um, and then the and then which I always remind people, and this is you know, this is kind of a silly thing to say, um, but you reach a certain age in life and we all have a lot of former friends. Sometimes those are friendships that have withered through inattention and um, fewer friendships should probably wither for those reasons, for all the things that we just discussed about ease of access to people. Mm -hmm. um, but if you take the risk and say, look, I, I've got something that I really need to talk to you about. And I've got something here that's concerned about. Do you got time to grab a beer and, or grab lunch or, you know, whatever. And we talk about it and that person doesn't find the time for you. Um, it's okay to maybe de-emphasize that relationship for that purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there's no reason to keep lousy friends around, you know? I just, I had a, I had a, uh, I did have, I had a conversation with somebody that was pretty funny recently. Um, and he was talking about it in the context of um, the most important thing in your life is to make sure you at least have six people that will help carry your box to your resting place. 
right? That that's that no matter how big you think your circle is, at the end, you need just six people, six right? people, six people. Um, and what's interesting is, is that um, the six people that you would have picked at 20 probably aren't the same people you'd have at 40 and mm -hmm. may not be the same people that are there at 80, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's okay. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the same six people. You know, right. it's, it's just important that you have somebody. Um, and likewise, part of that assessment, and maybe that's the way we should have been doing it the whole time through, then I'm thinking about it this way, is rather than looking at it internally, maybe the better plan is to look at it externally and look at it from the perspective and say, to whom am I open to accepting their vulnerability. Who are the people, who are the people in my life that if this friend came to me and said, I'm in trouble, would I um, really without question extend my hand and be like, this person could tell me any crisis that was going on in their life and I would be there to help them. And if, and if the answer is I don't have anybody then maybe that says something about your willingness to be open to other people's vulnerability, right? Um, because even a person who says, I don't need help should still be willing to be helpful to others. Right. You know? No, that's, that's amazing. I mean, like, that just like get, give a completely different perspective. I love that. And uh, honestly, like we, th this conversation, and we can carry this on, but I promised you one hour and right, you're yeah, at the yeah. one hour mark. Yeah, yeah. But thank you so much, Jamie. Really appreciate it coming to uh, Dads and Deadlifts and really educating us and just talking to us, just uh, taking your time today and just uh, talking yeah. about like, you know, dads. And All right. Men. So here's the thing, right? Yes. All right. So uh, are you a deadlifter? Yes. Okay. Um, and what, talk to me a little bit about the process of deadlifting. Okay. So basically, uh, you put, uh, however many pounds you think you can lift and, uh, you bend at your knee and, uh, make sure you hold the form and actually just lift that weight off the ground. It's a dead weight. <laughs> okay. And up to you stand up straight. All right. Okay. So, um, because that's not something that I ever, I ever do. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I think probably, and then when you've done lifting it, you set it back down. Yes. So you can okay. do more uh, reps after reps. So like, then you can go down and lift it up. Or when you do one rep max, you just put however many you think you can do one time you lift it. Yes. Okay. Uh, so the reason I was asking that is because I think the other important part about being a dad is um, you have to figure out the times in your life when you have to put some of the weight down, mm. right? And so if I understand correctly, being a successful deadlifter doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you carry that weight around at right. all times, no. right? It's only when that strength is called for that right. you utilize it to lift it for that moment. Right. And then it's important to set it back down. 
Um, you just so, gave a completely whole different meaning to the name of this podcast. I love it, actually. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that's probably a good message for a, for a lot of people is um, there is probably weight that you are carrying about stuff that it is okay to set down. Wow. I mean, what a way to end. Like, I love it because you really kind of gave, because it gave it a completely different definition and I'll definitely uh, remember this. And of course uh, you just said it on my podcast. Uh, the reason I use that's and deadlifts is because uh, that was, you know, that used to be my hated exercise. I really don't just do deadlifts. I'm a crossfitter. Okay. So, and every time deadlifts would be programmed, I, I would avoid it because I would get hurt initially. Okay. And it's a very compound movement. Uh, if you don't do it right, you can hurt your lower back and all that. Right. So, and that's one day I realized like, you know, anything you're trying to avoid, you, you need to lean in sometimes and actually oh, yeah. get better. Otherwise you, you're never going to get better at it. Right. As you said, like you get one rep. I loved your uh, statement when you said, Take one rep at saying, I love you to your son emotionally, right? It's just like your physical reps. I love it. Yeah. And the same thing, that's why I kind of named it because, you know, I'm a dad. And of course that became my anchor and a strength to me now. But that mm -hmm. if I could do that, that workout I used to hate, I used to dread, I used to avoid that workout any way, shape or possible. I'm, like, I'm right. not touching that thing. Yeah. Um, but now it's, it's um, I'm still not like, crazy uh, deadlifters people do like 600 700 500 pounds but hey you know what I, I i started doing only 45 pounds and then it became 85 then it became you just got to be on you know, your chart like, that's you got to be on your growth chart that's it you it's can, just, you can be a 10 percenter that's yes. all right hey. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. as long as it's your zone that's fine that's okay absolutely yeah. so yeah. but then the way you mentioned deadlifts about the carrying the weight and you need to know when to put it down it just gave a completely different meaning to it and I, I, I just wouldn't have said it any better. Uh, thank you so much for explaining that because I feel like that's when men, again, who had traumas, who didn't have the resources to grow up with that level of acceptance and authenticity and like heart, basically, right? Like that, that emotional empathetic background, uh, that weight is passed on to the next generation. Absolutely. And uh, they need to sometimes just reevaluate and, uh, you know, as you said, like kind of put that weight down and just do one, one small rep, even though it, it will be weird. Yeah. Cause I, if I, as a man didn't grow up ever heard, no one said, I love you. It's hard for me to even tell my kid because, you know, or anyone for that matter. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, 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 I could, I wouldn't have said it any better, Jamie, really yeah. appreciate it. All Thank right. You well, so this much. was awesome. I appreciate the invitation and hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much. Have a great pleasure. time. And, right. and this is the end. Thank you guys. Thanks right, for listening. Another episode of Dads and Deadlifts and I will see you guys on next episode soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone. 
and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode. 